Welcome to the White Health Podcast. The EU-funded White Health Project aims to conduct research on pervasive e-health and establish a sustainable network of research and dissemination across Europe. You can know more about the project on our webpage widehealth.eu, YouTube or Twitter. Our guest speaker today is Nina Hecic, a PhD student at the Jozef Stefan International Postgraduate School. She will talk about the solution developed by her team in the XPRIZE pandemic challenge. Let's dive in. Um, so, as Christian already mentioned, um, I will speak about the XPRIZE pandemic response challenge and our take on um, creating a solution to it. Um, so, um, we come from the Josef Stefan Institute, the Department of in the Intelligent Systems, and the team that participated here and that, as Christian mentioned, won the second place, was um, built from people from our department. But let's focus on the team a bit later. Let's start with the pandemic response challenge and what was every what was all about. So the XPRIZE Pandemic Response Challenge is a, was a data science competition which was stay, uh, placed into stages. In the first stage, um, the idea from the participants was that they need to predict the future COVID infections per region. As a region, it's meant like different countries or in case of the United States, different states of the USA. And for the second stage, which was kind of the response um, to the infections was to prescribe good plans for of intervention. Um, the competition was organized by the XPRIZE, which is a nonprofit organization which um, organizes high-profile competition and encourages technological development to benefit the humanity. Um, it started in 1996 and the Department of the Intelligent Systems already competed in the 2012 Qualcomm Tricorder XPRIZE. Otherwise, it's uh, somehow hard to compete because um, in some cases you need a lot of resources to even enter the competition because you need a lot of different equipment. But with this pandemic response challenge, what we needed was the data, the computers and the algorithms. So it was a perfect match for us. Um, so the, the whole challenge was sponsored by Cognizant, which is a multinational ICT company with around 300,000 employees. And they also gave out the main prize, the 5,000 USD prize, uh, which was then split between the two winners. So um, there were um, around 250 uh, teams from all over the world that registered in the first stage. Then um, after the first stage, I think there were only, so there were then just 150 or something like that, that actually went through the whole registration process. And then after the first phase where we had to give out, give out initial submissions for the, for the predictor, there was around 50 um, teams that went forward to the second stage. 
the whole timeline of the competition was very, very fast. And as we were um, told by the organizers, one of the fastest ever. It started in the October in 2020 and it finished by the end of the February, which is uh, four months, which is very, very uh, little time. Generally, it was split into two parts. So from the October to the till the end of the December, we had time to create our predictor. Um, and from end of December until the beginning of February, it was time to create the prescriptor. So as you can imagine, it was a very, very tight schedule and it was very time consuming as well. So first about the predictor, what, what does it do? What's the idea? As I mentioned, it went from October to December, so around two months. Um, and the idea was, so as, a, as an input, we were given um, 236 regions, which were countries from all over the world or some smaller, smaller regions as the US states, as I mentioned before. We were given the history of COVID infections per region, uh, and we were given the history of the intervention interventions per region. So these um, interventions were grouped into 12 categories, uh, up to four stages of strictness for each of the intervention and were um, as they are defined in the Oxford database. So we all had the same input. Uh, additionally, we could add a, um, more data, which we had to um, collect ourselves. So from weather to mobility to some other features as we call them in the machine learning world. Um, and this could all together be used to predict the future COVID infections per region. Um, there were some limitations. So the predictor, after we were, we would give in the submission, the predictor would run in the organizer sandbox and we had around one hour to predict for 180 days in advance for all of the regions, which is again, quite a very, quite a limiting time span. Um, the first phase ended with the quantitative and the qualitative judging. And um, so the quantitative was how good your um, solution is performing and qualitative is also that you, that we try to explain what we did, how we did it, um, and also try to justify the choice of the algorithms that we used. So now we come to the um, algorithm part. So although we are come from the machine learning world, um, we of course started with using with uh, trying to predict um, infections by using the <clears throat> different machine learning techniques. Um, there were also possibilities to use the LSTM approach or some neural networks. This is what the organizers did. But from our um, testing, we realized that the best performing combination is the very standard one, so the epidemiological models, um, which we further combined with the machine learning as this is something that we're supposed, supposedly good at. 
So maybe something about the these epidemiological models, uh, the SARE models as they're called, because I guess this is maybe the area which is not um, so which um, I guess some of the people here are not very familiar with. So the idea is to create the, the dynamical models where we try to define four different compartments. Um, of course, there could be more compartments, but we went with four of them just because of the robustness of the whole approach. Um, so there is the susceptible compartment. So all the people that are susceptible to get infected. Then there is the exposed <clears throat> compartment when somebody gets exposed to the virus. Then there is the infected compartment when the exposure, uh, the exposed uh, person gets infected by the virus. And then after some um, time, it gets, uh, there is also the removed compartment. So it works like that. For instance, we have a um, population of susceptible people and we have one person that is infected. And this one person um, gets in contact with somebody from the susceptible um, population and of course, the uh, this one from the susceptible move is moved to the exposed compartment, and then further to the infected. And then um, there are a few parameters that describes how you move from one compartment to the other. First one is the so-called beta. Usually, it's um, uh, marked as a beta, but it um, describes the infection rate. So how quickly you move from the susceptible to the exposed. Then there is the um, incubation rate. So how, how long does it take from, for one to, from being exposed to getting uh, infected? And finally, there is also the recovery rate. So how long does it take to get from the infected to the removed? Um, this whole dynamic model is so the remove this of course could be either the recovered or if somebody dies it's also in this removed compartment uh, this is uh, described with a set of uh, dynamical equations um sorry differential equations and um they um they describe how how, how to move from one to the other compartment um, these parameters um, depend on different different um, variables. So the beta, the infection rate, this is the one that you most most uh, frequently hear about. This is the one that depends on the interventions and other factors. So also the mobility, the uh, maybe some weather or so on. Uh, while the incubation rate and the recovery rate or the mortality rate, it depends, you can split the final compartment into more parts, are generally fixed. However, in some epidi uh, some pandemics or some epidemics, um, of course, these compartments carry more information than just this um, basic. It could also carry the information about the hospitalization or the quarantined people or so on. So um, this Delta and gamma, or, sorry, this uh, yeah, delta and gamma are could also be a bit more variable. So 
when does the beta change? This is what we were thinking about because as mentioned, the beta is the one that really uh, affects the number of infection. So it could be when the intervention change or when the uh, infections change. So what we wanted to do is to somehow predict the beta. Um, and what we were asking ourselves here is, okay, so if we want to predict the beta, we know that it could be very uh, constant in some interval, but it changes in some other interval. Um, so we went with two different splits, the two that I mentioned. So when the interventions change or when the infections change. Um, so we fitted the beta to the to data to data. Um, here we used some fitting mathematical modeling and so on. Um, and we fitted beta to each segment of the infection data. Here is a, an example for France, just because this was done for the second wave and the France has had this really very nice fitting. Um, and we use, uh, when we decided which segmentation to use, we looked into different errors and then decided for the segmentation that performed better for each country. So what we uh, ended up with, with is um, this time series where we had different betas that changed over the time. So to do, to predict the new interventions, we had to get, we had to set or get the beta for the future. So here we use the, as I think it's very expected, the actual machine learning. So we use the interventions and the normalized interventions, um, then some different static features such as weather, holidays, so on, and some other uh, features that were gathered, so the mobility mask usage and so on. Uh, the problem was that not all of the features were available for all of the regions, so we mostly ended up with using the interventions and we tried to predict the normalized beta, which was then transformed back to normal beta when we put it back into the um, epidemiological model. Another thing that we also used or that we also take into account is um, that um, we use just the betas where the, there was a negative correlation between the interventions and the normalized beta, beta. So in some countries, it could be possible that some of the fitting was not very, very well done because if there is a very few number of cases, then the, there is could be some numerical instability present and so on. So by making sure that there is this ne negative correlation, we had a better training set. <clears throat> what we learned uh, generally is um, that for the to predict the beta, there is the countermeasure strength where the workplace and the school closing had the biggest impact and maybe facial coverings and cancellation of the public events had a um, smallest one, but here is um, here are the these um, groups of categories of the interventions that were used. 
for the first phase, so this was more or less just uh, as a um, qualifying um, um, <clears throat> thing. So those that were the 50 best group, the 50 best teams that had the best uh, performance in the first phase could then be um, could then advance to the second phase. So we were actually performing quite well. Although it was the first time we were ever working with these epidemiological models and um, different <clears throat> um, epidemi epidemiological predictions. Um, and for some time, we even were placed at the first place, and then we moved around from, um, from first to the fourth place, more or less, all the time. So then, we came to the prescriptor, which was, we think, the, the most important one. And also, it was kind of the, the main point of the whole competition. So the main idea was um, to get from the input, which was the same as in the first stage, um, where besides all the number of the infections and uh, all the interventions that are uh, being used. We also got the standard deep neural network predictor, predictor, which was provided by the organizers. So for the second stage, we didn't use our own predictor. We use um, this standard predictor, which was kind of a combination of the predictors um, from the competitors that was put together through some neural network. Um, and we all had the same predictor, so we all had the same starting point. And the uh, another thing that we uh, got as an input was the weights of the intervention categories. So how important it is for some intervention to happen or not to happen. So this was given by the um, as an input. Uh, our required our output was to come up with 10 intervention plans per region. And for this, we also had a <clears throat> time limit, which was six hours to prescribe um, these intervention plans for all 2236 regions for 90 days. Um, also here, the final judging was done um, quantitatively and qualitatively. So um, how many, so the quantitative judging was asking how many other prescriptions um, each prescription dominates and how um, the, the qualitative judging was based on how well you describe, how well you maybe um, also show the, the, the results and so on. So, we also created the web page, but I will come to this a bit later. Okay, so what is an intervention plan? So for the intervention plan, so here is the example of the intervention plan. So each intervention plan has these 12 um, interventions. And for each week, there is um, a stage for each intervention that, um, that is being prescribed. So the higher the number, the stricter the, um, the intervention. So, or darker the color, the stricter the intervention. Um, so again, as I mentioned, 
the standard predictor was combined from the different predictors from phase one. Uh, we got the set of weights for each of these interventions that I showed before. And we had to come with a temp prescription plan. So those that are, um, and of course, this prescription plan had to fulfill um, these two um, objectives. So the average stringency of the countermeasures or the interventions had, had to be the lowest possible, and also the number of the infection had to be the lowest possible. So those that are at least a bit familiar with um, multi-criteria optimization or um, can realize that this is the perfect uh, multi-objective optimization problem. So we used the evolutionary algorithms where we started with the random plans, uh, evaluated them, selected the best plans, crossover, then there was crossover and mutation done, and the new plans were generated and repeated. So this whole um, procedure was then repeated and so on. Um, so the idea was to, to explain this a bit further. So we had the parent, parent one, parent two, uh, and we combined the um, them into a child that had maybe um, higher string, uh, same stringency, but fewer cases. Uh, also, the mutation could be done. So we take uh, from the crossover result and just change a bit of a, a part of the intervention to get um, lower um, stringency or the lower infection. So the problem that we faced was that the standard predictor was too slow. So in 90 seconds, we were able, so we calculated that for 236 countries, we had 90 seconds per each country. And to do this, we only had 45 evaluations available for each country, which is really not a lot. So we come, came up with two solutions to speed things, two solutions to think, speed things up and do it a bit differently. So first one was to use the surrogate model and the, the other one was to pre-calculate the plans. So as mentioned, we only had six hours once the organizers called the code to calculate everything, but we had around month and a half to Recalculated, and this was kind of enough of time. Um, so each of these approaches gave us um, 10 solutions, which were then combined together. Um, and <clears throat> the whole time management of this new approach was to spend, to, to have around, um, uh, for the pre-planning around 12, 20 seconds for the combining of the solutions, 10 seconds, and the multi-objective optimization then took around 60 seconds. So how did the speeding up actually work? So for the surrogate model, what we did, we actually used our predictor, but instead of fitting it to the actual infections, we fitted it to the, to the outcome of the standard predictor. Uh, instead of predicting 
um, for each day, we decided to predict in seven day intervals and then interpolate these um, values. And we also um, added this um, solving the differential equations, which was quite kind of the most um, time consuming in this part. Uh, we coded it in C instead of Python. So with this, we were able to speed up the what would what would be the standard predictor for the 100 times. <clears throat> for the pre-computation of the stringency plans, um, we actually pre-computed all the possibilities um, and we only did it for the stringency uh, and then replaced um, the stringencies or added the, to, to the stringency we added the interventions later. So I will explain this a bit later. Um, so the pre-computing pre um, was done like this, that if the uh, infections are raising fast, the stringency is higher. And if the infections were falling fast, then the stringency could be lower. Um, and once we had the stringencies, we then um, prescribe the specific interventions. So this was done, as mentioned, with the pre-computation. There is around 7 million intervention combinations available for the time span of 90 days. Um, and what we did is for each stringency, we pre-calculated all the this intervention combination and see what would the number of infections be for this. So once we um, know what the stringency was, we then just chose the intervention plan that for this stringency would have the lowest number of infections. So um, surrogate model where we kind of speeded up the standard predictor and the pre-computation gave us both 10 different solutions. And we combined those together. And this was our final XPRIZE submission. Um, so what was then done by the organizers is um, how they compared these plans. Um, so for instance, the if, as I mentioned, the plan was better if it um, was placed closer to the Pareto front. Um, and if the plan outperformed another plan, then it was chosen as better. So what we had to be careful here as well is to come up with 10 um, prescription plans that would perform the best as possible because in case that one of your plans was performing way worse than the um, intervention plans from other competitors, your whole solution would be compromised, if I may say so. Um, so for the qualitative judging, the um, organizers wanted to see some visualizations and so on. So as we have um, 
few people here in our department that are very uh, specialized in uh, this visualization. Um, we actually <clears throat> uh, decided to do a web application where one could um, put in different intervention plans or um, different, uh, different intervention plans, and they would then be compared to on this Pareto front, and one could see what would this mean um, with the number of infections, what does it mean uh, for the stringency of the, um, of the intervention plans and so on. We also had some uh, very nice, very shiny, uh, more complex um, visualizations, which allow to compare different plans in actual five or three and five D. Um, yeah, so it seemed that the qualitative submission and also the, the sorry, the, the, the quantitative submission and also with the combination of this qualitative submission where we created this web page, uh, put us in the second place. Um, we were able to reverse engineer and try to find how our qualitative, uh, quantitative, sorry, quantitative submission performed. So you can see here are two, um, two colors, the blue one and the red one. So with the first ranked team, we were quite close. Um, we even had um, maybe some better solutions, but overall we were very, very close regarding the qualitative submission. Um, the team was built from 12 people. Um, as mentioned, the whole um, the whole uh, this response challenge was a very, very um, time limited, so everybody had to work um, extra, extra hours or days or weeks, would some, some would say. Um, and it really came together because everybody kind of um, gave a part um, of the solution that um, could then be built together by our master uh, integration. Uh, the integration master. So yes. Um, so I will end the presentation uh, at this point. I will open it up for questions if there are some. I guess there are some. So yes, yep. thank Th you. Thank you, Nina, for the for the nice presentation. So uh, yeah, now the questions, please. While we are waiting, uh, can you show the picture with the Germany results? This one? Yeah, yeah. So you have your team in the first place, but also the, I see some other colors. What are those? Uh, those are the other teams that 
the solutions from the other teams. So each color represents one team. So we can see some of them came up with plans that were um, very high on stringency, but um, only had a very low uh, number of infections. Then you have some that were more uh, there, there were that were less restrictive with their plans, but um, had, uh, of course, the higher number of cases here. Um, but the idea was to to offer this different prescription plan that would let the the policymakers then decide. Okay, so maybe we would like to um, sacrifice a bit of um, strictness and uh, maybe allow a bit higher numbers, but still uh, such numbers that we can somehow maintain in some normal um, numbers. So yeah. Thanks. I can make a question. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, so have you seen, so after this challenge, uh, have you seen some evidence of first policymakers using these results <laughs> and second, them being confirmed? I think this is the first question. And another one is if you have uh, an idea if the um, solution from the German team is totally different and it doesn't make sense to talk about it or if it's just something that they did a little bit different and that you can comment on why they were a little bit better than yours. By the result, it seems that it was totally different approach, so. Yeah, um, so um, first one is the one that, uh, yes, of course, we're trying to um, get this to actually be used in the um, real life. Um, of course, it's when you try to, because the policymakers are sometimes um, in the uh, government or some public health institution. So sometimes it's hard for them to um, trust uh, the data. So now we're working on uh, making models uh, more precise for Slovenia and to, to kind of get them to use or to maybe not use as a, the only source of the decision making, but maybe as a help um, on how to decide. So this is, this is in progress, <laughs> to be honest. So we hope that it will get uh, used because we believe it could be um, very useful. Um, regarding this, um, this Germany, so uh, here it's, um, maybe I was a bit unclear, this, what we're showing is, this is just the 10 plans um, that each team pres prescribed for one region. Here we chose Germany. I don't know why um, I actually borrowed some of these um, photos or some of these uh, pictures from uh, a colleague that already had uh, some kind of presentation. So I'm guessing that he likes Germany um, here, but uh, the, yeah, the idea is that, um, so we, we all 
the, the winning team is actually from Spain, so we were also in contact with them. They actually chose a very different approach. Uh, they were more relying on different uh, neural networks and some LSTMs more and so on. Um, but the final, for, for instance, for Germany and for some other countries as well, um, the solutions that we and them got, although through very different approaches, were very close on this Pareto front that we, are, we were trying to, to get to. Hope I. Uh, yeah, maybe I, I didn't explain. So uh, if you have a question, you can uh, do it by raising hand or just unmute yourself and uh, yeah, shut out the, the question, please. Hello, um, I'm Teresa Chambel from the University of Lisbon. Um, I would like to ask if in these models, uh, you take into account the kind of disease that this is in terms of how people get um, uh, contaminated by contact, for example, comparing a respiratory disease versus another kind of disease or if it's not in the model. And the other factor would be a seasonality. Is it different if it's uh, based on the numbers in winter or in the summer, during summertime? Uh, okay, thank you. Thank you for the question. And thank you. First of all, thank you for your, your presentation. I, yeah. I like it. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, so uh, first of all, um, so these SEER models that we use, these are very common approach to this um, um, epidemiological modeling. Yeah, uh, no. this kind of, yeah, this, this is kind of, uh, should just um, catch this, um, how does one move from one compartment to the other? Uh, we didn't uh, go into the very specific possibilities. So all of these um, interventions or maybe um, different strains or, or so on are for now, for now just kind of packed into this um, machine learning part. Um, however, we are now trying to, to, to extend this model. So um, where we would allow um, another compartment prop. Uh, so for the vaccination, um, for different types of strains, because we know that um, the so-called British stain, uh, strain is um, much uh, is spreading much faster than the, the the standard one. If I may use this kind of nomenclature, um, so we're we're adding this now to the to the this SIR model. Um, with the competition, we just went with very very robust one just because um, we had to make it uh, work for all 230 countries. And as I mentioned, there were, for instance, some countries that didn't have the reported cases or the interventions were not um, available for them. So we had to somehow group them. 
So that's why we just went with this very, very simple one. So which doesn't really take into account this respiratory things and so on. Um, just because it had to work for all 236 countries. But now that we're making more specialized models, we try to take this into account as well. Also, um, so besides this seasonality, it's of course the, the effect um, of the countermeasures changes through time. So when they first appear, people tend to take them uh, much more seriously. After a few months, the same countermeasures become more loose because people start to um, are fed up with everything or the numbers are falling and then you don't really see why you should still follow the restrictions and so on. So this is all the things that we're trying to build in the new models now um, that would be very specialized now for Slovenia first and then for hopefully for some other countries. Yeah, but, um, but uh, people getting fed up with um, with measures, I think would, would add up each time. Uh, whereas the seasonality is cycle cyclic. So uh, we are again in the same, uh, the same, uh, uh, time in 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 terms of uh, the seasons as we were last year, but we are already with more than one year with with measures. So I would say those two parameters do not go this yeah. along the same way. They, they... So so this um, this this seasonality is actually part of these statical features that I mentioned before. So here with weather mobility, there was also the part of the year, the the average temperature, the all there are a few. Um, so if maybe I I can uh, maybe I went too quick through it. Um, sorry. No, come on. Ah, was I, I'm sorry, oh, here, yes. So we had, um, with these static features, we had like a really, really big number of it. But in the end, we learned that the, the, the features or the things that were modeled into this beta. So beta, beta is kind of model on itself. Uh, but the, what we what we saw is that the features or these um, thing, things that had the most impact um, were actually the interventions. So all the uh, weather, the holidays, the seasons didn't have such an impact on predicting the betas. So um, they could be modeled differently, but as we used them, so to predict betas, they didn't really have an impact. If now I answered better. Um, okay, and then the win the winners or the the order of the winners, they were compared against the 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 real uh, numbers that would come from the different countries. Yes, yes. So it was. So here you can see this. Um, dashed line on the left, this is kind of the ground truth. So daily, it was calculated the mean uh, absolute error per 100,000. And this was done 
all together and also for each region. So it was compared on daily basis and then this, um, so how do you say the, um, the, the, the order or the ranking changed every day. So as close as you were to the actual numbers, the higher you were ranked. And what, what, was, what was the time span that you used? Uh, the time span for the prediction was supposed to be, so it was called one and it was done for 180 days. But they were checking it from the, sorry? When, when, when in time? In uh, so, yeah, they, they called it, uh, so it started on the December 22nd, I think they ran it, and then it went on until the end of competition, which was uh, by the end of uh, February. Yeah, because that is the same, the same time of the year. So some of the parameters may not, they did not have the time to, to apply. Like seasonality, um, it's the, the, same, that's no, the um, same time. Okay, so this was, this was done for the comparison, but when we trained the data, we were looking into the data from beginning of the COVID. So we had um, this from January, 2020. We, we were looking into data from then, from then on. So um, the predictions were of course made in January and February, but um, the actual training, the data that we used to build our models, these epidemiological models and so on were um, already built on, on the whole year before that. So, mm -hmm. Okay, thank you very much. And yeah, no go on with your you. good work, thank you. Uh, Stefan, Manev, please, can you ask your question? Sorry. Oh, sorry, I was muted, uh, hello. Uh, I have sort of a vague question, and I apologize. I apologize if I missed anything because uh, uh, I joined the the stream uh, a bit later on. Uh, so mm -hmm. you've already trained this model, and you you mentioned that um, obviously into the future you would uh, have to adjust uh, for other parameters such as the vaccination uh, going around the world. Uh, so would it be possible to uh, train, to further train the same model, like supplementary, or uh, would, would this mean that you would have to start from scratch? Um, yeah, so actually this is also something, something that we're looking into. Um, for now, we're starting from scratch because there is, um, we limited on a, uh, a smaller number of countries, so those countries that actually have all the data available, which is not so much, because we want to model the hospitalization and so as well. But uh, these dynamic models <clears throat> actually allow you to, um, to not allow for some countries to get into some of the compartments. So you would have an additional parameter, which in case you would, um, not then allow, because you don't have the data for some countries, 
you won't you wouldn't allow people to move to that compartment um so here is i think a way to actually use some of um pre-trained um things but right now when we are trying to 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 redo the models we we do it from scratch for now but also um but from this point on we would also like to maybe see if it's possible to to use the same models for different types of um so the same machine learning models so the same models that we would use to predict betas and also some other parameters this is also something we're looking into now so so this gamma and um, delta and some other stuff um and yeah we would like of course to do it um in such a way that when we want to add another compartment or maybe remove another compartment uh we wouldn't have to do everything again from scratch but currently it's what we have to do just because as i mentioned the model this epidemiological predicting model that we used for the competition had to be very robust very um yeah i understand very, very... Uh, so so basically if i if I understood correctly this um this model that you've trained so far which does not include the the, the vaccination um this mm -hmm. would basically be more useful for the countries that are sort of uh lacking behind let's say uh on the on the vaccination plan yeah i i also have a feeling I mean, as 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 me personally, I see this uh, response challenge. Uh, I think it was not, of course, it was meant towards um, COVID, of course, but I think it's uh, more of a challenge that would allow in further epidemies that probably will happen sooner or later um, that you would have already something prepared so that you start to think more into it and um that it that it's there already so yes um but the things that we um that we kind of did not just our group but all the other teams that were also collaborating in the sixth prize um i would say are kind of uh, being used for instance now when there are this brazilian and indian spike spikes going on and there are what i know for, from from talking to some people they are trying to use these things in into these models uh, into these um, cases already so this um, because india and uh, brazil have this new spikes that are happening um, and it's uh, hard to contain them <laughs> right now so they are already already trying to use this, but I think it's more uh, also more uh, towards the next pandemics that could and probably will happen. All right, uh, thank you for the expensive answer. Thank you, Stefan. Uh, now we continue with uh, Leon. Oh. Hello. I don't know if you guys hear me. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. my internet's not so good. Um, I also 
joined a little later. Um, what, uh, if I understood correctly, you used uh, many countries to create one model. And right now I've been, um, I'm, uh, and in the end you will use the model to actually predict something from one country, correct? Um, mm, no, actually, um, so it was done for all the countries. So the model should be working on all the countries. Yes. Yeah. So I think that certain countries uh, would be able to be looked upon in a way that they, they, they look more like each other. I think um, like Spain and Portugal look more like each other than Portugal and Japan. I don't know. Uh, wouldn't it also be an idea to um, look, for example, at the whole model and then maybe uh, train it more for all European countries when you want to predict something on European countries? Something like this. Um, so actually, um, some of this has already been done just because there were, as I mentioned, few countries that um, there were no data available at all. So what we did, we kind of looked into, okay, so this country is similar to this one. So we it might uh, act as this one. And also when um, looking into some these uh, pre-calculated plans, it was of course impossible to, um, to do it for all. So we also here kind of created the groups um, so um, it was not maybe so based on the um, the actual geographical location or something like that, but it was just on the plain data. So okay, uh, so we had we had um, this and this countermeasures, and the so the slope of the of how how high the infections were rising was that. So we kind of grouped them together and also tried to use this, but. Yeah, you, you need to you need you need to do this because there are quite few countries that you don't have. I don't know. You have yeah. one case, and then for two, two weeks you have nothing, and then you're yeah. left without anything. But I was also so so. First of all, that is really interesting as well. But I would also be interested in like uh, to so you've got a general model for all the countries, um, and wh whether you've tried to then further further train this model um for a set of of, of 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 countries in order to see if it works better on uh, like if you then further general like train it on only the european countries if it then works better on european countries to predict mm. or, or or whatever clustering or like grouping like you said yeah yes i'm not sure um if this in this way that you're asking has really been done, um, but yeah, this this could of course also be the the, the idea. So, um, but this would be then um, done for predicting these parameters. So the whole epidemiological model where we're talking about these dynamic equations and so on, this kind of remains the same. So it's just on how mm. um, how it um, how you try to predict these parameters that describe how fast you move from one compartment to the other. Um, and this, of course, if 
you of course yeah this could be done in different groups or different uh okay. yeah okay thank you it, it was done in a way it was done in a way because um i don't know if you were already been present there but um we also tried to see this um negative correlation which i mentioned here so you would want to see that when you have um stricter interventions you would want in some time see that the trend of the infection is falling. So here, here we already had to remove some countries and then kind of group them uh, by similarity to some countries that were actually um, performing in this way, if I made myself. Clear. Okay. I think uh, I understand. Thank you. Oh, Thank Nina. You. Uh, yeah, Teresa, you also had a comment yeah. in chat. So yeah, I, I wrote a comment just to now I understood um, if you, if the countries are not se separated or the regions, then seasonality will not uh, appear uh, because uh, it has to take into account the regions and climate climate regions. Tropical countries don't have seasonality, whereas, for example, as you mentioned, Portugal or Spain. Uh, in the temperate um, region, there is a very clear seasonality effect. So they have to be dealt with in a separate uh, way. Yeah, so this is kind of um, already hidden in some other parameters. So we, I don't know if we had this seasonality, but it, it is there in some other parameters, as you know from- But if, if you mix the countries, if the if if you mix the countries and then hemisphere and the hemispheres in, in particular, uh, then then it becomes blur. I don't I don't know how you then identify. So if you then take into account where the countries are, I mean this is this is part of these features for the machine learning algorithm, right? So if it would be kind of um, in there if. If this is an important part for when you try to predict the param these betas, um, mm -hmm. then it would be there anyway. So um, it might not be like you say, okay, so here is the seasonality, but it could be some other combination. So you, I don't know, um, I, I, I'm guessing now, but I think we had few hundreds of these features, static features that um, that we came up with. So all of this information is somehow hidden in there. So if there is it, if there, if there is this information and if it's important, the machine learning model will, will recognize it as important. And when you will try to learn it from the data that you then have available, it will be there. It, uh, this could be seasonality or the temperature or yeah the, yeah if, if yeah. you take into account the country or the, the region yeah yeah I mean yeah you you yeah yeah of course if it, they are merged together and you don't know which country they come from then then it's not so detectable yeah okay thank you thank you Teresa for the nice discussion uh, do we have some last question? I think we are already past one hour. Okay, then. Uh, 
yeah, I think that that's that's enough for this event. Uh, thank you again, Nina, for the really nice uh, presentation. Yeah. Uh, so thank you all for joining this uh, first public event uh, for the White Health Project. So follow us uh, on, on, on Twitter. Also, we will publish some newsletters from time to time from the results that uh, we will get. And I think, yeah, that is more or less. Thank you again and see you on the next event. Bye-bye.